a most original and creative talent in our business. Would you welcome Mr. Orson Welles? Ladies and gentlemen, Orson Welles again, come to call for another visit. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. Belly, the two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm here with Kathy Fuller Seeley. Um, Howdy, folks. Yeah, and uh, I just love that Kathy joins me for these. I just love the fact that we love Orson so well and the things he does. This is a, a neat one for Orson. I, I really enjoyed this one. It, it's uh, basically the story of the of the Magi from a different point of view. And uh, and it, and he calls it the day that he talks about right at the beginning. It's the day of Epiphany, I believe. And uh, and Kathy is, uh, I just haven't heard the day of Epiphany talked about all that much. Is it a famous thing that's the day of Epiphany, or is it you know, just something? I, I think it's a more European thing than American thing. The, okay. the I'm a I'm a bad Episcopalian, uh, 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 and that, that you know because there's supposed to be like the twelve days of Epiphany. And um, uh, so I, I got to admit my bad Episcopalian, I wasn't paying attention at that <laughs> part. But I, I think since he says this is a, um, he talks about it as a, a an Italian sort of folk tale, a legend of the nativity. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and mention, and so, so let's just, just say it's a European thing to get okay. your presence, uh, you know, yeah. not on Christmas day but but on the 6th of january well so. i just thought it was so interesting because uh you just a way i don't know my mind works i don't know how everybody else's mind works but anyway the way my mind works is i always kind of associate the wise men as the same as christmas right like jesus is born and they're the wise men who take their travel and journey to him and show up when he's essentially when he's born well of course they wouldn't show up the moment he's born they're going to show up after that so this would be uh you know he he's been jesus has been born for uh, a few a, a time frame a few weeks or a few days or, or whatever a month who knows and then the magi are following the, the star and 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 that leads them to uh jesus and uh and it's just the story. This is one of those episodes where the story is 90% of the show, probably. Um, and, and it's a neat story and it's told well. And, and hearing Orson do it, of course, as um, Rob has said in the past when he was on here, that uh, Orson would be the highest paid person to read a book to you in the modern age of all these yeah. audio books and everything. And he's right. Uh, he would. His voice was an amazing thing, and uh, so and, and it, him it, to the story's great. His voice and his acting ability. You're right. Yes. He could make the phone book. If if Jack Benny was said, Jack could read the phone book and it would be funny. Orison could read the phone book and make it dramatic or sad or or things. Engaging. Like that. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And uh, and he does a really nice job with this one. And. You know, so often he brings us, the other piece of it is that he brings us things that we don't talk about all that much or think about all that much or in a different twist on things. It's almost never direct center. You're not like 
you've heard this this way before. And that's where this story comes from as well. So I think that's really neat that it's coming from a different angle. And, uh, the, and then, of course, besides this, he talks about um, uh, at the end, he'll, he'll mention the, the um, soldiers who come back from war and have no housing and can't find housing. And uh, he complains about the fact that they're giving lumber and things to build new stores and new things. And they're like, but they can't have lumber to build homes that folks need. Um, and it was a very interesting time. And I think I've shared before that my dad came back uh, and when he came back, they were trying to uh, purchase vehicles and there, there was just, everybody was making tanks no and making cars. planes and all these things. And so there just were no cars that were, and if you tried to buy a car that was three or four years old, you would actually pay more money for it than it was produced for at the time because they were so hard to find. It was the scarcity that was causing the price to go up. So, you know, rich folks could have their cars, but anyone else had no, to- No, there were none. And, and, yeah. and uh, it, as we've said before, the amazing sort of, uh, sort of slice of life were bringing us into the details of this extraordinary period. And I love how Orson is fighting for the little guy the GIs trying to get them home, you know, um, agitating to get them home. And, and now they're agitating to get them housing. There was a tremendous housing shortage, something like 18 million servicemen, just as kind of we were talking about your son, um, you know, getting their, their back. They want to go out in the world and start their lives. And they're literally, there had been no housing built in the 12 years of the Depression. So um, you've got all these young GIs, uh, 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 you know, men and women, they come back, they're with their sweethearts, they're getting married at an incredible rate. They're starting to produce the baby boom. They want, and people in government say, you know, they deserve, this is where the GI bill comes from, for all their uh, uh, service to the country, they deserve a place to live. And um, this was its crisis moment. And in the way that Terry in previous weeks has sort of spoken about how Orson, in our minds, the listeners' minds, when he tells a fiction story, and then he's talking about a real event in the news, and you can start to see the connections between them. If you've got sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, it was about um, Bethana, you know, leaving, she was so proud of her home, but leaving it to wander and look, and we've got these magi, the wise men, sort of wandering through the countryside looking for, you know, so yeah. in a way you're, you're thinking then about the GI sort of wandering, looking for that, for that home, for that place to, to yeah. be. I thought it was um, very touching and sweet and, um, uh, um, uh, but, but also so much, very much of early 1946 mm -hmm. and the pressing problems uh, uh, people faced yes. in that year. And I'll say to tie onto that, um, we mentioned it a lot, which I think we should. And I think it's important to, to mention this. So often these episodes feel so random and that he's touching on all these different subjects. But if you really step back, which you don't, you know, in, in modern society, the way we present things, we don't usually tie things together anymore. We, we everything's separate. Oh, now we're, oh, now we have this book person coming on. Let's talk to him. And oh, now we have that, you know, you watch a morning show or whatever. But in his case, usually this is really well thought out. And 
everything kind of ties together. And, and though he's talking about three or four different things, there'll be an yeah, overarching exactly. piece that goes to it. And I think that's true in this one as well, as, as you're saying, though they feel like, oh, that he's just mentioning something different at the end. In reality, it ties into the story he's been telling. Um, yeah. And the fact that we need to um, protect our give the gift of candy to the, so, you know give a yes. give a gift to the soldiers the gift we need to give to the soldiers yes right and we need to follow the northern star that takes us to the soldiers to help them that sort of thing so yeah yeah i think it's great but anyway well in this in this in this year of the confluence of planets which some said was uh uh, uh like the star of bethlehem you know appeared oh. so rarely did you get to see the planets come together I tried, but it, you know, it was here. It's overcast so much. Weather? Yeah, oh. we, it, you can't see anything. Okay, my my son-in-law. Oh, we we were able to see it for a few minutes in Richmond, Virginia, and my son-in-law's. Um, uh, I guess it's an Apple phone. It's not like my crummy little Android. He <laughs> uh, was able. Um, uh, uh, the phone had a hundred per hundred times magnification. Wow. And he was able to point it at that white dot. And suddenly I saw the rings of Saturn and it was like, oh my heavens. So, uh, oh my goodness, that's wonderful. So, what a great, uh, uh, you know, hooray for things that bring us back to kind of the um, magical mysteries of the universe, right? Yes. So, uh, I agree. And that is uh, a great you know, point the, for us yeah. to stop, I think, because uh, that's that's delightful way to end it. And uh, so we'll we'll see you folks next week for more Orson. Hopefully Terry will be back with us and maybe John. And uh, but I loved just spending time with Kathy's wonderful as well. So oh, Daryl, this is marvelous. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I just you know this was this this wasn't even me. This is something else that brought us together to do this because I just I I love them. I love doing this and uh, the whole Orson perfect timing. You know and. Speaking of, of that, the, the, I love the fact that you tie in, so we so often tie in the present day to Orson. It feels like not only did he orchestrate this wonderful production to put on for us for 15 minutes a week back 75 years ago, but also so much of it resonates today. And it's like, you're going, wow, he was 75 years ahead of his time. But anyway, <laughs> at least, right? Which... which is the kind of definition of a lasting classic. And yes. I'm so glad that these episodes have been found. So, um, so they're not just curiosities from the past, but, yes. um, you know, they, they, they end up becoming... Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because like I say, a couple years ago, we would have been doing 12 of these and been done, right? Now we get to do yes. 60 of them if we want. You know, it's, it's great. So as long as I have you, we'll keep doing this. So... Thank you so Yay. much, Kathy. Everybody have a, uh, I hope you're continuing to have a great new year and everything, and we'll see you next week. Hello, Americans. This is Orson Welles speaking. Today, January 6th, is the Feast of Epiphany. Well, Epiphany Eve is like the night before Christmas. If you hang up your stocking, if you are good, when you wake up, you find it filled with gifts. I hope you found something in your stocking this morning. I hope it wasn't a run. Well, with this holiday goes a beautiful story, a very beautiful one, and I'd like to tell you it. But first, an important announcement. If you listened to this program last week, you heard the important special announcement that was made. 
It was one of the biggest pieces of news yet revealed concerning post-war radios. It was the first word about an exclusive new development that you will find on radios which carry the Lear name. For the past months, we've been telling you about wire recording and the Lear wire that remembers. Now Lear has gone further, carried recording another great step ahead, and announces this new Lear achievement. It is sound on tape. This is a way of recording far more faithful and easier to use even than wire recording. You touch a switch and presto, you're taking down the songs of your youngsters or the voices of your friends. Then immediately you can play any of these back. For with this system, there's nothing that has to be rewound. The recordings are yours for a lifetime if you wish. New tapes are inexpensive, much less than the previous wire. And of course, there's the feature that one tape can be used over and over again. Previous recording disappears when something new is recorded. It is still further proof that you get the newest and latest advances when the radio you choose carries the name Lear. L-E-A-R. Now, back to Orson Welles. Every year, a lady friend of mine, Mrs. Baroni, who is a good 78, has been telling the story of Epiphany on Epiphany Eve to several generations of Baronis. They're all American citizens in her family, but the old lady was born in Florence, and she tells the tale exactly as her grandmother told it. In case your grandmother wasn't born in Italy, I thought you might be interested. Here it is. The woman looked up from her work. There was so much work to do in the house, but she put down her brush. There were some people in the road, out there by the well. She washed her hands and folded the towel and put it back in its place, and then she opened the door, sighing as she thought of what she'd left behind undone. She went out into the road. She could hear the children chattering and giggling. The little monkeys, she thought. Their mothers should teach them better manners. Standing apart from the children at the well, the mothers, their arms folded, their heads tipped toward each other, were gossiping quietly, staring at the queer, grand-looking foreigners who had stopped at the village for water. The woman was old, but she walked proudly. Her neighbors were afraid of the strange men, and she was not. They were holy men, and the woman had no fear of them because she was certain that she was as godly and good as any foreigner. The woman's name was Bethana, and she was hated in her village. She would not suffer the children to play in her courtyard or in her fields, and she never gave them candies or sweets. The mothers of the children hated her because she said more prayers than is comfortable for ordinary women, and the men might well have hated her because she owned the land on which most of them worked, but in fact... She was disliked by them because she was ill-favored, and most of all, because she was lonely. Bethana moved to the well through the crowd of her neighbors, and the smallest of the children made way for her to pass. She was happy. Her neighbors were jealous. There was not one among them who would dare to speak to these alien men. You must have come a great way, she heard herself saying. You are holy men, and so it is proper that I ask you to rest in my house tonight. We cannot rest, said the gravest of the elders. A lean, gray-bearded man with a look in his pale eyes you will find in the mariner and in the philosopher's eyes. The look of gazing far and hard at the horizon. The sun is almost down and we travel only by night, he told her. You are men of God. 
Why then do you wait for darkness, she said. Who searches for you? It is we who search, they told her. We wait for the darkness that we may find our way. I'm an old woman, said Bethana, and now you are making fun of me. We are speaking the truth, said the eldest. Bethana looked into his pale, clear eyes. Her heart was troubled, and although she could not tell why it was so, she felt her spirit lighten. She was old and ugly, but she felt now as only the beautiful feel when they are very young. The sun was low and red. The women of the village moved away, returning to their kitchens, the children with them. A silence rose out of the dusk, and even the dogs stopped barking in the fields. The strangers stood together, holding a single gaze, unblinking and very serious. What are you looking for? Bethana whispered. The eldest finally made answer. We have come to a great door, he said. A key has been given us to that door. The worship of God is my life, cried Bethana. Show me your key. And now the strangers fell to their knees. She observed that their heads were not bent in prayer, but raised as heads are raised to listen and to watch. The sun was gone. Bethana saw that they were looking at a star. Behold, they said, there is the keyhole. The wise men rose and went to their dromedaries. The star is your sign, said Bethana. Where is it leading you? To the king of heaven, said Jasper of Taurus, king of the land of Myrrh. To the son of God, said Melchior, king of Arabia, rich in gold. To the savior of the world, said Balthazar of Saba, where the frank incense flows from the trees. I will go with you, said Bethana to the three kings. But even as she spoke, she thought of her house, of the work undone, of the door unbolted. I will go to my house and then I will come with you. And they said to her, we cannot wait for you. The woman hurried to her house. I must bring the child a gift, she thought, and went to the place where she kept secretly her sweet things and filled a bag with them. When she returned to the well, the strangers had gone away. The star marked a path across the fields and plains, and the path was empty. The wise men had followed the star over the rim of the world. They were beyond the horizon now, hastening to Bethlehem. The night was very still. She listened hard with her old ears, and she heard nothing. Looking, listening, she stood there, her old heart heavy with dread, and then heard a sound, but it was not the three wise men returning for her. It was running feet barefoot. It was a child who lived in a small farm nearby. His father was her tenant. As the child came to the well, she spoke to him, and by the light of the star, she could see the hate in his small face. He turned away and ran toward home across the fields. She called out to him. She called again. Because he knew that Bethana was to be feared, he stopped. She crossed the open place to where he stood. 
She'd been holding the candies to her breast. But now she gave the candies to the child. And it was the first Christmas present. It was also the first gift Bethana had ever made. That was 2,000 years ago. And she has been giving presents to little children ever since. Or so the story goes. That's just the way I heard it from old grandmother Baroni. The word Bethana, Bethanius, it's just an Italian way of saying epiphany. And after the kings had brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to the stable in Bethlehem, they gave their riches to the poor and afterwards lived only to preach the gospel of peace on earth and the tidings of great joy which shall be to all men. They were martyrs to their faith and the three buried together. Their bones were moved many times to Constantinople, to Milan, that was during the First Crusade, and later northward again to the city of Cologne. The church burned to the ground, but their bones were saved. And when the new cathedral was built, its gold heart was a shrine to the sacred relics of the three wise travelers. Well, now one of Mrs. Baroni's grandchildren fought for peace on earth at the very gates of the city of Cologne last year, and after he took the city... He didn't forget to go to the cathedral. And I heard from old Mrs. Baroni that he wrote her a letter back home telling about how he'd visited in Germany the tomb of the three wise men of the East. He didn't forget his grandmother's story. His little brothers and sisters heard it last night. They all hung up their stockings, and I hope this morning that they found that Bethana had remembered them. As the story goes, the people of Bethana's village never saw her again because she started off that night on a long journey. She went searching for the child Jesus, whose name is another word for truth. And like so many of us, she's never found him. And now your attention, please, for an interesting announcement. Today, Lear Incorporated is repeating one of the most interesting announcements yet made in the world of post-war home radios. It is the news about sound on tape, a remarkable achievement that makes recording more faithful, more convenient to use, even than wire recording. The minute the recording is made, it can be played back, for there's nothing that has to be rewound. This newest feature of Lear radios has been under development in the Lear laboratories for months. Now the story can be told, and soon you will be able to enjoy it in your own home. This new Lear recording will be in several models of the Lear radios. Together with television, FM, and shortwave, it will be a feature of the fine console phonograph combination that leads the line and sells for about $500. It will be in sets that cost far less. It is another instance that whatever will improve your radio satisfaction will be found in Lear radios. And no matter what price you pay, whether it's for the top model of the fine $19.95 table set, you can be sure of this, that you are getting the newest and the most for your money in a radio built by Lear. L-E-A-R. Now, back to Orson Welles, whose views and opinions are his own and do not necessarily represent those of Lear Incorporated. The big stall is about getting our fighting men back home where they deserve to be. The big stall is still on. And in Manila today, several hundred G.I. staged a demonstration with banners and pickets and everything. 
Mrs. Baroni's boys are finding out that getting back home is one thing and getting a house is another. Every night this cold winter, thousands upon thousands of weary men who helped save our homes for us are sleeping in vacant lots in empty autos, empty sewerage pipes, or even on the ground itself. I've seen veterans who've set up housekeeping in railway stations, and I've gone into houses where three veterans and their wives share a single room sleeping on cots and on the floor. Why was everything possible in war, and why is nothing possible in peace? One hero asked me last week. He had a purple heart. Why are people allowed to build nightclubs and juke joints and hot dog stands when there isn't enough lumber to build houses for people who need them? Are we supposed to live in foxholes the rest of our lives? The president spoke about this housing scandal the other night. I didn't think that talk of his was much of an indication of this. But in Washington, people who've seen Mr. Truman in the past two weeks tell me that he's abandoned all thought of compromise with his diehard conservative friends on Capitol Hill. A group that discussed the FEPC with Truman recently was amazed to hear the president telling them that they weren't asking for enough. A delegation sponsoring a more liberal foreign policy was startled to have Truman endorse their position and without hesitation. A delegation representing people who've supported Roosevelt but who've been lukewarm about Truman went to see him and were roundly dressed down. You can't expect me to get results single-handed, he barked, which was pretty much the gist of Thursday's broadcast. He's thinking that way. He needs help, and he's saying so. A White House insider told me this yesterday. Truman is for the same thing Roosevelt was for. He just lacks know-how, but he's learning fast. If he got more backing when he tries to take a progressive stand, he'd start producing... Well, my time's up now. Let me come to call again next week, and thanks for this one. Till then, speaking for my sponsors, the makers of Leo Radios, and all of us, I remain, as always, obediently yours. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.